Abortion being legal doesn't mean anything if we can't access it. But I find that that is so much more even true right now during the pandemic because so many things are factored into whether or not somebody can access an abortion right now. Women are not represented in the decision-making bodies of trade unions. And I feel that as a feminist, women should be their own decision-makers So this is why we think that it's very, very important for women to have their own unions. Women are searching for justice on social media because justice is so male-dominated and patriarchy is so strong in Turkey. On the other side, the women movement is so strong and so we say, yeah, women are strong together. Welcome to Our Voices, Our Choices, the gender politics podcast from the Heinrich Böll Foundation. I'm your host, Esme Nicholson. In this series, we'll be exploring how technology is being used to reshape feminism and advance its diverse causes, from fighting gender inequalities compounded by racism, to women's and trans rights activism, and to climate justice. We'll hear how digital tools provide campaigners with a voice they are otherwise denied, and how they're disrupting disproportionately male decision-making processes around the world. In this episode, we talk to feminist activists in the United States, India and Turkey about how they use social media to push equal rights legislation, focusing on issues that have been made worse by the COVID-19 crisis. We discuss efforts to tackle the reduction in access to reproductive health care, the increased risk of domestic violence and femicide during lingering lockdowns, and the impact of working from home on the gender pay gap and on women's employment rights. While many activists fighting long-established campaigns have learnt how to harness the power of social media and condense their messaging into bite-sized shareable nuggets, others, like my first guests, become campaigners inadvertently while swiping through their Facebook and Instagram feeds. It was actually kind of an accident and it happened with a Twitter post. Erin Jorgensen is a member of the American reproductive rights organization Shout Your Abortion, which she says was started unintentionally when their now founder, Amelia Bono, shared a post with Facebook friends about why she was grateful she'd been able to have an abortion. One of those friends reposted it to Twitter, adding what she thought was a throwaway hashtag, namely Shout Your Abortion. From there, it just kind of exploded online and a bunch of people were like, I had an abortion too, using the hashtag shout your abortion. So it became clear that like this was really a thing that people wanted and like needed to talk about. And so from there, it kind of became an actual organization. So it was pretty accidental. And it's funny now because a lot of people are judgmental about the name, like shout your abortion, like that's a little much, you know what I mean? The hashtag went viral and its creators realised that women had been keeping quiet about their abortions, many out of shame despite the fact that the procedure has been legal in the United States for almost half a century. Jorgensen says even liberal, outspokenly pro-choice women weren't talking about it, other than in political or legal terms. When it came to the personal, the silence was deafening. In the US... The abortion narrative has really been dominated by anti-abortion people who are not really afraid to use the word abortion. And so they're the ones who are like defining what abortion is like culturally. 
Whereas the pro-choice side, I would say, is, has been kind of like safe, legal and rare, you know, like don't really talk about your abortion, you know. And so we're like, no, we're going to talk about abortion in a way that feels authentic to us. You know, a lot of people's stories are like positive, you know, they're like, I felt relieved or, you know, I felt relieved and sad or I felt like, you know, I felt bad or I felt regret or like all these like myriad of complex ways people feel about their abortions. While the hashtag has prompted thousands of women to share their own experiences of abortion, it has inevitably created a backlash from anti-abortion activists. And while the issue has never ceased to be contentious in the United States, despite the Roe v. Wade Supreme Court ruling which legalised abortion in 1973, the hashtag Shout Your Abortion has even met with criticism from pro-choice supporters who argue abortion is not something to shout or brag about. Undoubtedly, it's the brash tone of the hashtag Hashtag that provokes, and it's one that more established pro-choice organisations don't dare use. Founder Amelia Bono describes Shout Your Abortion activists as irreverent, foul-mouthed ladies. And co-campaigner Erin Jorgensen says adopting an attitude is the only way to cut through the rest of the noise on social media, particularly as legal challenges to the almost 50-year-old Roe v. Wade ruling reach the Supreme Court again. So I think the cultural narrative definitely is shifting. Um, but yeah, politically, abortion access is getting worse. Even though it is still legal here in all 50 states, in some places it, it doesn't matter. You know, it's it's really inaccessible for people. Um, it's expensive or there are all these little trap laws in place like, oh, you have to wait 24 hours. You know, some people can't do that. Some people can't afford that. This has been particularly true during the coronavirus pandemic. In some states, women's reproductive rights were temporarily suspended. Alex, who's also an activist with Shout Your Abortion, works as a counsellor at an abortion clinic in Texas, where during lockdown, a state executive order declared abortion to be a non-essential medical procedure, effectively banning it in the name of saving PPE to respond to the coronavirus. It was a really trying and disheartening time for people who needed abortions, people who've had abortions, people working in this movement, healthcare workers. A lot of people weren't able to access abortion at all in their city, um, even if some clinics in the state were providing medication abortion or the pill option. Other clinics in other areas wouldn't just to be safe um, because it was such a gray area regarding what we could do as far as continuing care, because the threat, I believe, at that point was a fine and then jail time as well for providers who went against this order. Alex, who for safety reasons would rather not give her full name, says that while she worries that the temporary ban sets a precedent, these setbacks only make her more determined to fight for existing legal rights. She says campaigning on social media has become all the more important during lockdown, adding that it's not just about Twitter hashtags, especially if you want to prevent unwanted teen pregnancies, because that demographic doesn't tweet. The way you reach Gen Z on TikTok looks entirely different than the way you'd reach like audiences on Facebook or Instagram. So in order to reach younger social media users and inform them of their reproductive rights, Alex joined the short video-based platform TikTok. In her first video post, Alex lampoons the kind of anti-abortion activists that wait outside the clinic where she works. True to TikTok's style, her post is sarcastic and deliberately provocative. She's sending 
summing up how anti-abortion campaigners try and appeal to young women on their way to get a termination. Don't kill your baby. We'll help you with diapers. We'll help you with rent. Just follow us to this super shady, discreet, unlicensed medical clinic. We'll get you an ultrasound and we'll tell you all about your life. Alex was surprised by the number of likes, shares and comments the post provoked. I've never really seen the impact from my words in an article as much as I have from my words on a video. (laughs) I don't think Gen Z is reading those articles that I write, to be honest. Um, I think they're more interested in material that like gets them right away. Alex's TikTok messaging is satirical, radical and acerbic, even macabre in tone. And while this is welcomed by many, it also has its detractors, like this young TikToker. So there's this lady, basically this account that I've been kind of avoiding making videos on, but their username is Abortion Counselor. Now basically her whole account glorifies abortion. Alex says she doesn't glorify abortion, but admits her style is deliberately abrasive. Just like Shout Your Abortions messaging on Twitter, its TikTok campaigns refuse to be apologetic. Alex adds that negative responses are actually positive because they're proof that her voice is audible outside her social media echo chamber. From reproductive rights activism born out of a single tweet in the US to India, where thousands of female garment workers are connecting and organising via a social network that doesn't even need the internet. In India, everybody has a phone, either a smartphone or a button phone. That's Lamuel Enoch. He works on women's advocacy projects for Gramvani, India's answer to Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp, TikTok and Instagram all rolled into one. Gramvani, which means voice of the village, is a social media network that is neither app-based nor requires a smartphone. Instead, it's run on regular button-dial mobile phones. Essentially, it's a Facebook equivalent that serves rural communities with no online access and limited electricity supply. We want to hear people from the bottom. It's from the people. Enoch explains that this off-the-grid social media network is even accessible for communities with low literacy rates because it's voice-based rather than text-based. For the old women... Because they don't know to read and write, they all know only the numbers. They press this number and listen to it. Users call up Gramvani's discussion forums and listen to posts, leave comments, share them or start new threads, just like you would on Facebook, but over the phone using your voice. While it sounds a little like a radio call-in show, Gramvani's voice-based social network is more than that because it's user-generated, just like Twitter or any other social media platform. In the state of Tamil Nadu, the centre of India's garment industry, trade unions have teamed up with Gramvani to encourage its mainly female workforce to come forward about workplace abuse, poor wages and dangerous working conditions. In some instances, the trade unions have set up radio call-in shows, which can also be listened to over the Gramvani mobile phone network, but a lot of communication takes place as it would on social media through posts and commentary threads. We get grievances. It can be civic grievance, it can be harassment grievance, it can be any grievances. The network also helps inform garment workers of their rights. Sujata Modi is the president of Penthosilala Sangam, a women's workers' union in the city of Chennai. So we regularly have a news bulletin which 
we try to put in news which is relevant to women the traditional media does not actually carry any relevant news for them when we started out they had not seen a smartphone so there was no whatsapping Modi, who founded the Women's Union more than 20 years ago, says Gramvani offers a safe space where garment workers can talk freely without fear of losing their jobs. The garment manufacturers know exactly how to discipline and how to control these few women. So Gramvani gave us a way to communicate with people quite far apart. But because of the coronavirus pandemic, much of the progress that the union has been able to make in improving pay and working conditions was lost overnight. Lamuel Enoch says that even since the lockdown was lifted, female textile workers are struggling more than before. So there's a big pressure on the women workers now. They are treated like an animal. So previously they were working if you work for 8 hours there will be a salary. Now everything gone into the piece rate. if you if you finish so many pieces you'll get a salary that's it and yet because many women in and around chennai are already connected via gramvani modi says her union has at least been able to reach out and offer support during the pandemic you know it's a big word psychosocial counseling and all that there were people who uh, you know don't like being locked into small spaces and they were really going through a tough time um there were also issues of violence where women were not being respected either in their parents home or their husbands homes you know it's very very difficult for them their freedoms are extremely restricted so actually the garment industry does give them that space modi says that in the wake of the pandemic union work is no longer just about collective bargaining and while she feels as if she's starting from scratch the fact that the garment workers are already connected and that they haven't stopped communicating with one another despite not being able to go to work and despite not having internet access or sufficient electricity at home is a game changer that offers real hope we live in an extremely patriarchal society an extremely hierarchical society and therefore our voices are never heard never understood and ramwani actually gave women a voice where they could actually express themselves talk their thoughts uh, speak to each other and have a really a space for women run by women and uh, you know also learn that they they could take their own decisions they could become their own leaders Our our to Turkey now where women's names are constantly trending on social media. Unfortunately, these trends are far from positive. Preceded by a hashtag, these are the names of the country's latest femicide victims. The hashtags are often also attached to photographs and sometimes even disturbing footage from the murder scene. One of the femicide was so popular, unfortunately so popular in Turkey. Uh, her name was Emine Bulut and she said while the man was attacking her, I don't want to die. I don't want to die to her daughter. And it was a real terrifying scream 
we can we can uh, always remember it. Irem, who'd prefer not to give her surname for fear of harassment, is among thousands of Turkish women who have joined the fight for women's rights on social media. She says while it's encouraging to see the activity online, the sheer number of hashtags is disheartening. Every day, at least two or three hashtags are opening to say that yeah, femicide uh, is rising and they don't stop it because they don't apply Istanbul Convention. The Istanbul Convention is shorthand for the Council of Europe Convention on Preventing and Combating Violence Against Women and Domestic Violence. It was first signed by countries from around the world in 2011 in Istanbul, and it criminalises gender-based violence and abuse. The Turkish government, led by President Recep Tayyip Erdogan, is considering withdrawing from it, claiming that it undermines family values. If you say, OK, uh, we will withdraw from Istanbul Convention, that means... A war on women. Uh, it isn't only uh, about femicide. It's really an ideological war. Irem says that while the government's threat to withdraw from the Istanbul Convention is worrying, it's virtually meaningless in Turkey anyway. She says women who report domestic violence to the police are often turned away. And even when men are prosecuted for killing their wives or daughters, she says they get away with light sentences. We don't trust them to be jailed. They won't have any penalty. We don't trust this male-dominated system and male-dominated judgment. Last year alone, more than 500 women were killed by family members. And the number of femicides have actually increased since Turkey signed up to the Istanbul Convention. Yerim says she's particularly concerned about the pandemic impact on domestic violence and says nothing will change unless the laws are implemented. Fellow activist Melek Aremari is confident they'll get justice and that the struggle is not just about tragic hashtags, adding that the recent hashtag campaign Challenge Accepted, taken up by women all over the world who simply posted pictures of themselves on Instagram, has given their cause a boost by drawing international attention to the issue of femicide. Celebrities all around the world are showing their support for women in Turkey. Everyone in the world hear our voices and also saw the struggle we have against femicides. Arimari, who is a member of the group We Will Stop Femicide, says international social media attention captured by the hashtag campaign Challenge Accepted and the protests sparked by the death of 27-year-old Pinar Gutekin this summer have, at least for now, had an impact on the government. Of course, social media and also our protests, our reaction is the one of the biggest pressure on the government. And also, we know that after the big reactions and the mass demonstrations in Turkey, the government had to take back the discussion of the Istanbul Convention. But We Will Stop Femicide's work goes far beyond raising awareness about the issue via social media. The group represents the families of murdered women in court and has done much to push for longer sentences in a number of femicide trials. We Will Stop Femicide also keeps records of femicide cases in Turkey and releases these online every month. Some of this data is combined with research carried out by another independent group of activists who run the Monument Counter, a digital monument that not only keeps count of the number of Turkey's femicide victims, 
but names them and details the life lost and provides links showing how the media has portrayed each victim. Arimari from We Will Stop Femicide says the data they collect helps their cause, adding that although the law is on their side, the judicial system and the media are not. She says Turkish feminists will continue to take to social media to call out toxic misogyny but that they'll also continue to use it for selfies like the black and white ones posted during the Challenge Accepted campaign. For selfies show women as they want to be seen as autonomous, empowered citizens, not as victims. As we've heard, feminist activists the world over are refusing to let the pandemic serve as a convenient excuse for legislators, governments and corporations to chip away at their hard-earned rights. Regardless of whether they're connecting using hashtags, selfies or cell phone signals, women, non-binary, intersex and trans people are speaking up and refusing to accept the claim that they've never had it so good – particularly as reproductive rights are rolled back, as the gender pay gap widens despite legislation against it, and as women are killed for wanting to determine how they live their own lives. When nobody else appears to be listening, social media networks give women the opportunity to organise and effect change, however incremental. You've been listening to Our Voices, Our Choices, the gender politics podcast from the Heinrich Böll Foundation. You can subscribe to this series on iTunes, Spotify and SoundCloud, or you can find us at boell.de forward slash podcasts. If you want to get in touch, email us at podcasts at boell.de. I'm Esme Nicholson. Thanks for listening and till next time. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.